This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Play the play on the show. show, show. Well, they salvaged the series. The weekend, they couldn't quite change the full momentum of what happened the first couple days in Houston. But the Seattle Mariners get out of Houston having, well, maintained a little bit of the momentum that they brought into it, winning three straight in Texas. It is Danny and Gallant this morning. We have Michael Bumpus who is with us. And Bump, I got to admit... About the seventh inning, my 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 faith was waning. I was I was feeling that oh man, they're not going to go through this whole game and not score any runs, are they? Yeah, I'm with you. I started to uh, to wonder a little bit. You know what, Danny? I didn't get to watch it, but I listened to the game. Like it was a different kind of experience for me. I've listened to games before, um, but as soon as they got into extra innings, I knew it was all good, Danny. That's just what they do. Twelve and four in extra innings. I knew that once they got in, they had a chance. Uh, but this team is resilient, right? And they, they play with your heart. You're high, you're low, you're up, you're down. Somehow they found a way to get this done. And it keeps them in the wild card race, right? Still three games behind. Nothing really changed. Um, just uh, play with your heart a little bit. Yeah, they, they lose the first two games, 27-4 to four by a combined score. Uh, 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 15, 15 to 1, 12 to 3 on Friday night. Then 15 to, to 1 on Saturday. And then they get back up off the mat like this team does. Probably the most important hit in the game came courtesy of Ty France because yeah. it's it's two to one entering the ninth. They scored they scored one in the top of the eighth, and then to start the ninth, any question of whether or not the Mariners were going to at least try to make the make Houston have to win this in in the bottom of the ninth. Here was Ty France to lead off that top of the ninth. And the right-handers, 0-1 pitch on the way. Swing and a fly ball deep to left center field. Going back is Myers. This one is gone. Goodbye baseball. Over the orange-yellow stripe out there in left center field. Ty France with his 15th home run of the year. And the Mariners have tied it up at 2-2 here in the top of the ninth. Holy smokes, want to come back against the Astros. Ty France with a home run evens the score. Mariners two, the Astros two. How about that? He saved the weekend for Seattle sports. Look, yeah. the, the the Sounders had an incredible comeback on Saturday, so I don't want to minimize that. But yeah, the first two games of the Mariners Astros series were ugly, and then that that preseason game that the Seahawks played on Saturday night that was nothing to write home about either. No, nah, it wasn't. It gave us something to believe. Like you said, you cannot discredit the Sounders. It's just that the Mariners are in a playoff run right now. Yeah. Right? Those games mean a bit more. And then the preseason game with the, the Seattle Seahawks, that's two times we've gone out there and didn't look stellar. Let's keep in mind that these are the twos and the threes, the number ones and in there. It's, a, it's self-evaluation is what, what we're looking at when it comes to the, uh, the Seahawks. But, yeah, man, Ty France was clutch. Uh, JP had, got on base. He was clutch. Um, there's a lot of clutch going on here. I feel like you're going to get to it, so I'm not going. I'm not going to spoil it right now. The moment of the game for me, the moment of the game for me is the bottom of the tenth, and and the Mariners had failed to score in the top of the inning. And you mentioned extra innings. The Mariners have been really good in extra innings. I feel the new extra inning format really favors the home team. It sure does. More so, most other than you, you, you're you know how many runs you need to get. And when you start out with a runner on second base, knowing that you just need to plate that guy, that's all it's going to take. And Paul Seawald, who's been, 
he's been he's been your best reliever, your most consistent reliever this season. He gets on the mound and he gives up a sharp single to Altuve. It's such a sharp single that the runner doesn't have a chance to score from second. So you've got first and third, nobody out. Then comes an intentional walk. Bases are loaded. Nobody's out. You have no room for error. None. And Paul Seawall proceeds. Knock him to, down. Oh, good Lord. Line him up and knock him down. And here was the one that, uh, that, that Yuri Gurriel ended the bottom of the 10th. His third strikeout. Paul Seawald's third straight strikeout to close out that scoring threat. Seawald gets the sign. He sets. Another 3-2. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Top of the zone. And Seawald is looking like the Hulk as he flexes, walking off the mound. He gets the Mariners out of a bases-loaded 10th inning jam. He strikes out three Astros hitters and sends this to the 11th. Tied at two. Is that dad strength? What's going on there? How does all of a sudden he just reach down in and find that? I don't know. What, 93-mile-an-hour fastball up in the zone, flexing on him when he gets off the mound? I love it. I think he said what he had to pitch every pitch like it was his last because, you know, you're you're in a tough situation right there. Again, I've never felt that pressure, Danny, of being on the mound with bases loaded in extra innings. Um, you got to feel some type of pressure. I love the emotion that he showed afterwards, too. Um, as a player, you feed off of that. You got your guys on the mound who you can believe in. Seawald, man, that's clutch right there. That was fun to watch. It was... It was really remarkable. Big picture, zoom out from that game because it's a critical moment in the game, but big picture, how in the world did they find this guy? And maybe he and Chris Flex and you partner together. Bump, you said in the, in, before the show started, are we starting to f- think that the Mariners might know a little bit of what they're doing in the front office when it comes to p- picking up pitchers? Because, man, these are Flexen and Seawald are two guys that were afterthoughts around the league. They've been huge components of this team. We got to start believing a little bit at least, right? Yeah. I know they're not going to get everything right. There's going to be failures when it comes to picking up guys and letting guys go. That's just part of sports, part of the process. But it's nice to see guys that you didn't really, weren't really dependent on, weren't really counting on, come through in the clutch, especially during these times when you need these games. If the Mariners walked away from Houston not winning a game, what, they're four games behind now, you're not feeling so good about their chances, way to come up clutch. It is funny how quickly I'll talk myself into, like, everything's <laughs> fine. Because, look, when they went out on the road trip, I said, they've got to win two or three the rest of the way. You know what they've yep. done on this road trip? They've won two or three. Now, it was three against Texas, and then they won one of three, but they gave themselves a little bit of wiggle room. They gave themselves the wiggle room. They're, they're right now, they're four and two on this road trip, and they head to Oakland today. Marco Gonzalez is going to be on the mound for you. You... If you're the Mariners, you have to feel really good about about the the positioning you have. You have your two best pitchers over the past month that are going to be on the mound in the next two days. You have your two best pitchers. And oh, by the way, Tyler Anderson just had another great start for you. Had another great start for you. You've got to feel pretty good about where things sit right now. What do we say about Marco? Preseason, we're like, look, he's going to compete. Right, he's not gonna he's not gonna blow a ninety five mile an hour fastball by you. He's gonna hit his spots and he's going to compete. Now is when you need that competitive spirit of all time. Now is the time because you're in the stretch, you're in the run. You want Marco on the mound. You've had some success against the A's. He should be confident. Things look like they're in the Mariners' favor now. You still got to go and play baseball and get it done. But when you have your two guys on the mound who've been balling, um, you should feel good about yourself. And and the Mariners should feel good throughout the whole game as long as they're not down what seven eight runs or up. Seven eight runs. 
Um, they should feel good because they know they're going to be in the game. They tend to give up leads uh, later in later in the later innings. But um, I'm, today on Monday, Danny, I feel real good about this team. I, I'm starting to I'm starting to get into that. Get it all out of your system too. Like if you're going to be bad, just be awful. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna and and I've I've previously I've previously um, advocated for this the idea that when a reliever comes in and they give up two or three runs I just want him to get it all out of your system like get it get it out like throw all the garbage like let, let let's have this be the bad one and the stinker yeah. and the outlier maybe that's what the Mariners did they got they got all the junk out of their out of the way in on Friday and Saturday and they they got that out of their system for the for for the meantime we do need to acknowledge that what turned out to be the game winning runs uh came after the Mariners took the lead in the top of the 11th because Kyle Seeger came on and continued what has been one of his best years certainly his best power production as a pro he he hit the home run that turned out to be the difference and the 2-2 two, two to Kyle, swing and a high fly ball, deep into the gap in right center field, going and going and goodbye baseball over the Astros' bullpen. Kyle Seeger with his 29th home run of the season. A three-run shot here in the top of inning number 11, and it's now the Mariners' six and the Astros' two. Holy smokes, what a drive by Kyle Seeger. And that turned out to be the difference. It got a little dicey. The the tying run yeah. was on was on base in the in the bottom of the eleventh. But shout out Johan Ramirez who slammed the door shut, got the final two outs, uh, lost two of three from Houston, and still middle of the pack in the AL. Your glass way too full for this team. Comes from the two five three, maybe, maybe. But you know what? <laughs> this team has hung in there the entire season, and they've shown the ability to get up off the mat, and they did it yet again. And they've won four of their past six. And if they if they continue to win four out of every six games, they continue to win two out of every three, they're going to be in the playoffs. That is going to happen. It is Danny and Gallant, Michael Bumpus filling in for Paul Gallant today. It's time to get you to Front Page News. This, this is the Front Page. Brought to you by Dubin Law Group. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now. All right, Bump, Bump, you were there. You were down at Lumen Field, correct? Yes, you, you, I was you, there. You're manning, manning the pregame show, the postgame show. Talk me off the ledge. Talk me off the ledge because I'm not sure if there was much to be excited about. Ooh, I, I will talk you off the ledge. All right, when we're watching these preseason games, okay, don't get caught up on the score. Yes, you want to win. I understand that. But it's more about evaluating players as individuals. I told um, Paul Moore this weekend, I go, look, man, you got to look at – Football in the preseason, kind of like baseball. It's a team sport, but at the end of the end of the day, it's a one-on-one battle. The batter and the pitcher. When you're looking at preseason games, it's a one-on-one battle. Can your guard block this three-take or one-take? Can this receiver get by this quarterback? Even if he doesn't get the football, can your quarterback make the right decisions? You're not going to see a lot of that out there because these guys are twos and threes for a reason. Let me t- be the first to tell you, Danny, I was a two and a three. The guys in front of me were just better than me. That's just, that's just what it was. They were better. So you're not going to see the same type of football 
Lock in on one or two players and evaluate them as individuals. As individuals, they're guys who shine. Rasheem Green looked good. John Ursula bless his heart before he went down with an ACL injury. He was looking good. That's how you look at these preseason games. Look at the concepts in the past game. I see what Shane was trying to do. There were moments when this offense was going. The quick game was going. Unfortunately, it ends with a turnover, an interception, or a fumble. So I get you. You want this team to win and look pretty, but a lot of these guys ain't going to be here week one. 50 to 10. That's the combined scores of the first two preseason games. I know it doesn't mean anything, but the starters are going to be here. Starters are going to play in the in the game that's coming up on Saturday against the Chargers. Here was Pete Carroll after the game kind of talking about their playing plans going forward. This format for us was different than we've ever done before. We've done something different and and uh, you know, it hasn't it hasn't been a lot of fun and games, you know, with the way we're playing, but um Week three is a, is a big deal for us, and uh, we'll go back to a, a lot of the other guys that haven't played in, in, in the first two games to prepare them for, for game one of this regular season. That's been the plan all along. Is that good news? Should be excited? Should be? I don't know what to feel about this preseason. Uh, be excited. I, I don't know. Feel what you want to feel. I guess, you know, feel what you want to feel. You're allowed to feel your human being with emotions. It's all good. Um, I think... You should stay optimistic, though. Optim- excuse me, optimistic, because you don't really know what this team looks like. Now, week three, Pete says we're going to see some of the starters. All right now, the starters come out, and, and they look slow, and they look rusty. Okay, then there's a little bit of cause of concern, because you're going to rely on these guys. But uh, week one and two, man, it's all, it, it's all evaluation. Individual evaluation. That is what the preseason is about. The Front Page. All right, we do have some health and fitness updates because not great uh, news from Ian Rappaport this morning. Ben Burkhurvin did suffer a torn knee ligament. That was a bummer. That was on the opening kickoff. What makes Man. it worse is that it was a kneel down, right? Like it wasn't even a, a return. Um, John Ursua also suffered an injury. And then Diego Castillo, Mariners reliever, uh, he's gone on the injured list and undergoing an MRI, some tenderness in his shoulder. So none of those are good. The other the other injury update from the Seahawks is Ryan Neal, who strained an oblique, according to Pete Carroll. Of all the injuries the Seahawks suffer between Ursua, Ben Burkirv, and, and Ryan Neal, it sounds like Neal's would be the most uh, day-to-day you could hope to see him back sooner rather than later. Yeah, and, and oblique is kind of like, what can you handle? You know, there's some guys who get that injury. It's not as bad. You're good to go. Some guys, you just can't even move. You can't twist. You can't do anything. Ben Burkirvin, man, coming off 11-12 tackle game. Yeah. He solidified himself. Like, look, I'm going to be a backup guy. I'm not going anywhere. It's tough to see him going to go down on the very first play of the game. John Ursula had three catches, I believe, for like 34 or 24 yards. He was starting into his groove. Going to be hard for him to make the team, but you hate to see a guy go out like that. Um, that's the scary part about preseason. That's why you hear guys like Sean McVay say, Stafford ain't touching that field during preseason. And I understand that because things happen. It's a violent sport. You want to protect your guys as much as you can. That is front page news. Now we'll get to the professor who's on the sidelines for that preseason game. John Clayton joins us for the morning drive. John Clayton's morning drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything NFL, NFL from the professor John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's morning drive with Danny, Danny and Gallant. Morning, John. Morning. 
Bump's trying to talk me off the ledge. 30-3. to Thought it was ugly. I know the starters didn't play, but still, those are some meaningful defensive players out there that couldn't do much to stop Mr. Mr. Bridgewater. They're backups. <laughs> They're backups. When you have nothing but backups on the field, what are you, you going to do? And <clears throat> what I thought is amazing, and that's the way this preseason has gone, there's more players that didn't play this week that didn't play last week. And part of that's because there were 16 teams that had joint practices. You know, last week there was 522 players that did not play in the game. This week, uh, depending on what happens tonight with New Orleans, uh, there was five, over 540 players that didn't play. You can't make any judgments. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, they got blown out by 40 points in two games. Well, Green Bay lost to the New York Jets and the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans. And so it's like, uh, what judgments are you going to make about a preseason where you're playing nothing but backups? All right, John, I'm going to ask the question that everyone wants to know. Ben Burkirvin is out. Are they looking at K.J. Wright? They have to. I think, you know, now and uh, they need to get something done with Dwayne Brown. I mean, clearly they got uh, $4 million plus in cap room with the uh, deal with Jamal Adams. Uh, they have to f- figure out what they're going to do with DeAndre digs and all that different stuff but i think that uh yeah i, I think that you know because again right now the problem's middle linebacker not necessarily outside linebacker but again if you're going to be short on linebackers i think you need at this stage to do something with kj Wright to bring him in so we'll see but uh you know because it, it's funny they had the uh nfl uh, network's you know 100 list down to about 10 right now and you got six Seahawks that are on it the only player that's a uh, that didn't make it as far as being on a roster was KJ Wright who is in the top 100 I think it was 87 and uh he doesn't have a team right now so it's like okay so they got six guys in the top 100 you had KJ Wright that's seven KJ has played middle linebacker before I mean he knows the yeah. entire defense yeah, yeah. The one thing about that is he's he's probably not going to play special teams at this point in his career. And Ben Burkhoven was kind of a mainstay, but maybe somebody like DJ Dallas emerging that you you have room because your backup linebackers that's usually where you get your special teams depth. Mm-hmm. But man, Ben Burkhoven is such a versatile player. It, yeah, it seems to make an awful lot of sense to to bring in KJ Wright um, because just because of the the versatility that he provides. Yeah, because again, he's a smart player. He's a good player. Uh, you can see that the players in this team respect him. He's a leader. There's so many good things about KJ Wright, you know. And, and now there's a need for a linebacker. And uh, you know, even though you know middle linebacker may not be the best spot for him, I, I just think at this stage, you know, don't mess around. Bring him in, John. Another guy who needs to kind of show out and and show that he can make some plays is, is Rashad Penny. Now I feel like he played behind a weak offensive line. Um, the guard play wasn't the greatest. There was some penetration in the backfield. We didn't really get to see much out of him. I felt like that last game was kind of just him getting his feet wet. Does he need to show something this third preseason game, or are they just going to rely on him or give him chances during the regular season? Well, I mean, again, at this stage, I think Alex Collins is going to be the backup. I mean, I think he's done so much of, of a better job. Uh, you know, Penny had a you know one or two good runs early, but then that kind of slowed down. But again, it's like he, he's coming back after missing so much time. It's not like he's had a big training camp or anything like that. So it's like uh, you know, you know, you give him the time, particularly behind you know an offensive line that has 
virtually no experience or anything like that. But I mean, DJ Dallas did some good things. Collins has done some good things. You know, I think you know Rashad. He's going to make the team because he's a first round pick and he's got guarantees in that contract. And it's not like they're going to cut him or anything of that nature. But if, I mean, he has time to try to bounce back and see how well he can do. The other guy to ask about John, um, when it when it comes to the the decisions that are that are going to be made coming forward, the Saints have to make a decision on a starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Also, San Francisco last night, Trey Lance played pretty well. Who do you, let's start with New Orleans? Who do you think ends up being the starter? I there? think it's going to be Jameis Winston. He's got more talent and he's a better quarterback than Taysom Hill. I don't even know if Taysom Hill is a quarterback to be honest with you. He's a good football player, but I mean, you watched him last year. I mean, he can come in and play all these different roles and do all these different things. But I mean, you watch him against better teams and he's terrible. I mean, he just doesn't do enough. So I, I, I think right now it's going to be Jameis Winston. Now we'll see how the game goes tonight. Uh, to see if he can wrap it up because Sean McVay wants to make a decision after tonight and go into the uh, and, and go into the third preseason game knowing who the starting quarterback is going to be. So I, I think it's going to be Jameis Winston, but again, still up in the air. Now let's go to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Shot that Trey Lance starts. Do you think that's becoming a possibility? You've been pretty firmly, hey, Jimmy G's starting the season. No, it's going to be Jimmy G because, again, one thing that you notice, Trey did some really good things in the game, but one thing that he didn't do well is that he threw the ball too hard in the preseason, I mean, in the games. And what you're watching at is that uh, you know he, he made it tougher for the receivers to catch it because he put some extra stuff on there. That has to be adjusted, and that can only be adjusted by you know just giving him more time to learn. So I still think it's going to be Jimmy G. I know that uh, Kyle Shanahan, after the game, did not say who is going to be the starting quarterback, but I, I still think it's going to be Jimmy G. Top 100, John Russell was number two last year, number 12 this year. Fair assessment or disrespect? Uh, I think not disrespect. I just think it wasn't right. I mean, because again, it's like uh, he's one of the. I mean, he won 12 games last year, and he deserves the chance to stay in that top 10. I mean, certainly, what's amazing is that what was it? Lamar Jackson dropped from the top 10 to like 29. Are you yeah. kidding me? I mean, that's crazy. So. You know, uh, and again, these are players voting for things. And, you know, I don't know if they took into account it's like Russell ripping the offensive line and ripping the team and the number of hits and all that stuff. They take into account the bad game against the the Rams in the postseason and all that stuff. But to go from like number two to 12, I think it's not disrespect. It's just not right. He is the professor, John. We always appreciate it. We'll hey, by the way, can I, tell, can I say a personal thing? Yeah. Okay, so tonight, uh, me... Pat and all the members of the Tacoma News Tribune are going into the uh, Tacoma Convention Center and being inducted into the Tacoma Hall of Fame. No kidding. Yeah. Congratulations. That's Good fantastic. Stuff, John. Yeah, how about that? I mean, it's like, a, so Pat, who's already in the uh, Tacoma Area Hall of Fame for bowling writing, and me, I'm already in the Duquesne University Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we both get Hall of Fame honors, and we get that tonight in Tacoma. That's, that's awesome, John. Congratulations to you, and, Congrats, and, and convey that to Pat as well. That's really cool. Yeah, so it's like it's it's going to be a big big night for both of us. Sweet. Thank you very much, John. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks. That is the professor. Yet another Hall of Fame that he's been inducted into. For the second straight week, the Seahawks didn't play their starting offense. Is it time to worry again? We're going to ask Michael Bumpus to talk me off a ledge next. It's standing Gallant. Michael Bumpus in for Paul today. You are listening to Danny and Gallant 
powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We got a football professional in here today, which is a good thing because I'll admit to starting to the, the side of my starting to get a little concerned. The Seahawks lose 30 to 3 on Saturday night. I know the the Broncos were playing their starters and the Seahawks were not. I, I I know all of those things. Like it's one of those things like you're telling yourself it makes sense, Bump. You're telling yourself, hey, I should not worry <laughs> that this team's been outscored fifty to ten so far and hasn't really done much on offense. Like Alex Magoo's not gonna play in the regular season. And nope. and if he if he does play in the regular season significant minutes, like we shouldn't be surprised at the results. But still, thirty to three, Bump, thirty to three. Thirty to three. I understand the concern. And it's okay to be concerned, but I'm going to point out some guys for you, Danny. Your boy, DJ Dallas. DJ Dallas! What a bright spot. Return game, he's doing his thing, gets his hand on a punt. Um, The first game has a receiving touchdown, rushed the ball three, four times for 24 yards. This guy's looking good. Rasheem Green, two sacks in week one, one sack in week two. Cody Barton, two sacks in week one, a couple tackles in week two. He's in the right spot. Ryan Neal gets an oblique injury week one. He's making plays. A lot of these backups and guys fighting for time, Rasheen Green, one of those guys, they're making some plays. Daryl Taylor looked good week one. Week two, he kind of hit that that freshman wall, I'm going to call it, because to me he's still a rookie, hasn't played much. Um, Isolate guys. Don't look at the score. I know you want to be in Lumen Field going crazy, cheering like they're going on a Super Bowl run. This team that you see on the field is not going on a Super Bowl run. And I want to say, Danny, didn't they go on four when they won a Super Bowl in the preseason? They lost some games, didn't they? Ah, uh, I'll look back. They tried to win. They they used to try to win. I'm not sure. I'll I'll, I'll look back at that. It was cool to hear fans back at Lumen Field. What was that like to be back in the house with with some of with some of those fans? That was awesome. Um, I was wrong. They were 4-0 <laughs> in the preseason when they went to the Super Bowl. Never mind. <laughs> they, scratch that. They were also, but they were also 4-0 under Jim Mora. Like, I remember that 2009. Yeah. I, think, I think that was the year Detroit was 4-0, and too, in yeah. the preseason, and then went and lost 16. So I know that, that there's, like, there's, there's no connection between your preseason record and what you do in, in, in the regular season. Like, there's, there's none. If you go back through history, any attempt to statistically say that, it just doesn't exist. No. Winning in the preseason doesn't really matter. Still, I was like, just a little something, just a little like, a what little can I hold on? So maybe there's so DJ Dallas, Rasheem Green did look good. Yeah, we we haven't seen the first. Was it the first Denver possession? Might have been the second possession. They get him to third and five. They they stop and then they go for it on fourth and five. And then Jerry Judy has that thirty five yard catch where he runs across the defense. I was like, is that Witherspoon was on him at the line? But yeah. he's running across an awful lot. It looked like the safety took a bad angle and. It, how, they could they they haven't been able to get teams to get any stops. No, and I think that in that Jared Judy is is a baller. That route was yeah, beautiful. He's running across the route. He sticks him at the top where the spoon is falling down. And in that drive too, the Hawks had their twos and threes in against Denver's ones. And yeah. something about Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy does not fear Seattle at all, man. Last time we saw him, he's with the Saints. He comes in, beats us in the rain. Then he shows up with the Denver Broncos. He's steady. He's precise. So I understand, man. It's, it is what it is, all right? It is preseason. Don't worry about these wins. Evaluate guys. But back to your, your second question. Man, Lubinfield, it was fun, man. I haven't been. Yeah. It's been over 600 days since people or fans have been in Lubinfield. 
and it was awesome. There were a bunch of Broncos fans there as well. Seattle showed up, um, and the fans were still engaged. I mean, it's fourth quarter, five minutes left in the game. Not too many people are leaving. It's almost like they didn't want the night to end. It's like when you're watching a good movie, you're like, man, I don't want this to end. It's, it's such a good movie. They stuck, they stuck behind these Seahawks, man. It was fun. It was loud. It was rowdy. It was beautiful to see. That energy and excitement is maybe one of those, I was saying this last week, there's no problem with the preseason and the way teams play in the preseason. The problem is the expectations we have for the preseason. Like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the Seahawks saying we're not we're not playing a minute of our first unit offense yeah. for who for what first two preseason games we're not going to mess around with that. Now it sounds like they're going to play more of their of their starters in the in the third game, but there's there's nothing. The problem is is that you get the expectations up and you're like man there's people there and it sounds and you you after after all of the past season with no fans, it sounds like real football again, and you're expecting to see real football, and then you don't really see real football. The problem isn't the Seahawks' approach. The problem is our expectations for it. Exactly. Expectations. We're expecting to see a flawless offense that looks intricate and throwing the ball down the field, the run game looking good, this defense looking awesome. Remember, there's no Jamal out there. There's no Diggs. There's no Bobby. I mean... (laughs) I, exactly. It's all about our expectations. So let's even lower our ex- expectations for this third game. I know the starters are going to be out there. They're not going to be out there long. And Shane isn't going to show any of his intricate type stuff. You're going to see all the stuff that the Rams did or some of the stuff the Rams did when he was there. But it would be nice to see this offense go on a 10 to 12 play drive and put us some points. Yeah. As far as things to be hopeful of or things that have looked good we've mentioned a couple guys there with Rasheem Green with DJ Dallas Freddie Swain saw some time as a punt returner John Ursua looked like he was having himself a really good game but then he suffered an injury and you did have you did have like Ursua's injury and Ben Burkirvin who uh, this morning Ian Rappaport's reporting that yeah he does have a torn knee ligament those those are the sort of things that, that Seattle is trying to avoid, that they don't want to have happen. That, that, that's, that's the reason that you're not seeing all of their starters out there on the field. Yep, that's exactly why. These games don't mean anything. Like you said, teams go 4-0 in the preseason, don't make the playoffs, have a horrible season. These games don't mean anything. It's all evaluation, and you want to protect your guys. If you want to see Russell Wilson out there for 30 to 40 plays, you're crazy. Why? This guy started with 160 straight games. Let's keep that thing rolling. Forget the preseason. It means nothing. He's a professional. Now, I understand some concern. You want to see Russell in this new offense and DK and see how they adjust. Are they clicking? Are they not clicking? But preseason don't matter, man. Get these guys one series in week three and then get out. Now, the last question, and we've talked about what the Seahawks are doing, and I think that helps us understand it a little bit more. Is it the right approach with the new offense? Could you could you benefit from having some some first-team reps against an actual defense and Denver did have most of their starters out there would that have been sort of you get a little bit of a dress rehearsal effect having a new offense it is is would that be a benefit it's definitely a benefit I'm not going to sit here and and talk crazy and say that um getting experience and reps doesn't help in office I don't care how old you are the 10-year veteran um, a third-year guy who's a superstar now in DK. Those reps are important. But Denver and Seattle are coming from two different places. Denver, don't, they don't know who their quarterback is. It's a legit quarterback battle over there between Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. Over here, you know who your quarterback is. You know who your offensive line is going to be. Hopefully, Dwayne Brown signs. You know, you know who your starters are. When you're in a battle, 
That's different. You got to throw guys out there and see what's going to happen. So I think it comes down to that, right? This is a veteran team. You know who you got. Over in Denver, they're trying to figure some things out. Well, not only that, but that the thing that Seattle has figured out is something that not just the Broncos are struggling with. Is there a question in San Francisco? We'll talk about that next. It's Danny Gallant. Michael Bumpus in for Paul Gallant today. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Lance over the middle. It's caught for the San Francisco touchdown. Benjamin and the Niners back in front. Boy, and that was a fastball to a fast player. Former Charger Travis Benjamin right side of the screen on the crossing route. Great job of looking the safety off to the left and the speed of Benjamin to get inside of Campbell. And the ball perfectly delivered. The momentum carries Benjamin into the end zone. Bump, you brought something up last segment, which is really important to remember. The Seahawks have their tough decisions figured out. There, there are teams out there. One of them was the team they were playing on Saturday night that are trying to make decisions about quarterbacks. Who's going who's gonna to be their starter? Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. If, if Drew Locke looked like he was going to be the starter after Denver's first preseason game, Teddy Bridgewater won, won round two. San Francisco, it's, it's not a competition in the sense that Kyle Shanahan's been pretty clear that, hey, J- Jimmy Garoppolo is their starter. But Trey Lance has, at the very least, looked good enough to cause some people to think that maybe he should be or could be the starter week one. Shanahan is just a good coach. He knows how to play this game. He's not going to make his veteran feel like he's not wanted or that he's got pressure on him, even though he does, because he knows that to start the season, he has to rely on him. He's got to lean on Jimmy. So why not build him up, give him all this confidence? Yes, he was three for six with one interception last week, but he's not going to waver. And he knows that there's time with Trey Lance. He can make a decision week three, four, five, whenever he wants to, and throw him in the mix. But there's a legit competition going on over there. They're just trying to hide it. I mean, Lance was out there, A for 14, 102 yards, two touchdowns. The kid looked good. He ran the ball. Yes, he throws the football hard. I hear that's a complaint. As a receiver, throw that thing hard because I don't want you to lob it up and get me smacked by a safety or a linebacker. Fire it in there. I was going to ask you, John Clayton brought that up and said that, yeah, he threw some. There's times I've thought that Russ – he whips the ball, like even on a shorter pass. But you would know from a receiver's perspective, can a quarterback ever throw the ball too hard? I, mean, I guess there are certain situations when you're wide open or you're running a shallow route and there's no need for it. But if you are in the middle of the field towards the sidelines, throwing a post or something like that, throw that thing hard, man, because those windows close quickly. And as soon as that ball is released, you have 8 to 11 guys chasing after you. Yeah, as a receiver – you can never throw it too hard for me. Throw it in there. Get it to me quickly. Let me get loose. That question about Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, it reminds me of what was happening in Seattle in 2012. The Seahawks had Matt Flynn, and they drafted Russell Wilson. They also had Tavares Jackson, but most all of us expected, and I would say when the when preseason opened, that Matt Flynn's going to be your starter, and Russell Wilson's going to be the kind of, kind of the guy that's learning in the background. Now Matt Flynn was new to the team too, and Ru- Russell won the competition, and Russell flat out went out there and won. It's a little different in San Francisco. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo's declared the entrenched starter. From 
from your position looking at it, how does a coach, how should a coach handle this sort of question when you've got a guy that clearly is going to be your future QB and, but there's a veteran that's established right now and you might prefer to have the, have the young guy wait. You do exactly what Shanahan's doing. No matter what happens, no matter what questions you are asked, you ride with the guy who's what, 26 and six or something as a starter, the guy who got you to a Super Bowl. Yes, he is a game manager. He's not going to blow you away with super talent, but the dude can play. He just doesn't play to the level of being an elite quarterback. And if you are not an elite quarterback in this league, guys are always looking to replace you. Teams are looking to replace you. Fans are looking to replace you. So when you have this kid who who is young, who's fresh, who's mobile, who has a strong arm, who looks like he has that big play capability, it ruffles feathers a little bit. You know, it, it makes people ask questions. So I like the way that he's handling it because there's no doubt in my mind that Jimmy's going to be the starter day one. So why even entertain that nonsense? Now, once Jimmy goes out there and he looks suspect and he can't throw it down the field and he does what Jimmy does, okay, yeah. then you got to start really having that conversation with your staff and not even with the media. You just show up one week and say, boom, number five is our starter. Trey Lance is starting this week. Uh, here is Kyle Shanahan uh, after the game asked about sort of the the status if if Jimmy if he's seen anything that would make him change his mind about Jimmy Garoppolo being the starter. Kyle, you, you said open the camp saying that Jimmy's a starter, not a open competition, but obviously everybody's competing. Has anything done much to change that dynamic as you go into the third preseason game? No, I haven't seen that. You know, I would love for um, it to be more and more each week, but you know, I think the situation is pretty similar right now. We'll see exactly how that progresses. For the Seahawks, what are their biggest questions? Like you talk, I mean, there's there, there's some big uncertainties with some of the other teams, and the the Rams are settled at quarterback. the 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 Cardinals, they their offense is pretty well situated, but they got some questions on defense. What's the biggest outstanding question for the Seahawks? Is it how is Daryl Taylor going to be as your strong side linebacker? I, I don't even know. Is Ethan Posick going to be healthy? As a center, and maybe that more than anything explains why Seattle isn't playing as many of its starters to it during the preseason. Yeah, I think the biggest questions are on defense. You mentioned Daryl Taylor. How is he going to do with that position, that new position um, at the corner spot? We feel like DJ Reed is going to be the guy. We feel like Witherspoon is going to be the other guy, but you still have Trey Brown in the mix. You still have Trey Flowers in the mix. Safeties are good. What's that rotation going to look like on the defensive line? There are so many guys on that D-line that can make plays. Who's going to be where? Who's going to do what? I think offensively, it is what it is. Aaron Fuller, exactly. You know, let me switch that up. I think the center spot is a good spot to look at because Aaron Fuller, every guy I talk to, Paul Moyer, Ray Roberts, Wyman, they like Aaron Fuller. They think he's athletic. They think Posick is smart. He knows the game. He knows the offense. He's reliable. But there's something about Aaron Fuller that they like. So there's a question on offense. It's there. And then who's going to be the number two and number three? But 10 out of 11 spots solidified on offense is pretty good. It's really good. Uh, Having all of that sorted out and settled is – it's – Maybe you should be thankful that there's there's less drama and instead of wondering, hey, what, why aren't the Seahawks doing more? Kind of thinking that they they don't they don't have to because a lot of a lot of the uncertainty is is question is has already been answered. Ben Burkirvan suffered a, a knee injury, and if you're just joining us, Ian Rappaport reporting that he tore a knee ligament. He's he hurt him was hurt on the on the opening kickoff. Is KJ Wright? Does that change? Sort of the calculus for Seattle on K.J. Wright's availability or his position for him? It does. The only thing about that situation is 
if they bring KJ back, they're not going to offer him the money he was getting. Is that disrespectful? Does he feel disrespected? And then he's not going to get the time that he was getting. It's mm-hmm. almost like because of where he is in his career, his age, they have to kind of move on. That's why you have Daryl Taylor there. I think he'll get some reps. He'll play. And then I think um, John Clayton said it. He's not going to play special teams. You know, KJ, he's past that in his career. So it's it's all about respect when it comes to KJ. You don't want to offer him some low ball contract and not appreciate what he's done for this team. But it's also like we got some young guys in here. Are you okay coming in and kind of mentoring these guys and getting snaps here and there? It is Danny and Gallant. Michael Bumpus filling in for Paul Gallant today. We're going to have Brock here joining us here in just a second. That question of whether or not a veteran like KJ Wright, he's certainly at this point waiting for an opportunity to open up. Are we going to have a chance for him to, to get on the field? Does, does the fact that Ben Burkirvin is hurt? That's one of the questions we have for Brock. That's coming up next here on Danny and Gallant.